Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpit. As you can see, it's raining. And as I was traveling up to the pulpit this morning, it wasn't raining. It was a bit cold, a bit gray, a bit overcast, uh, somewhat reminiscent to the world that we now live in concerning COVID-19. Still lots of uncertainty, like when are things going to get back to normal? And I'm going to suggest probably July or August, 80% of Britain will be reopened for business. Parts of Europe are reopening. Australia, New Zealand are reopening. Taiwan has bounced back very quickly. And of course, Sweden never really shut down. America has reopened many of her airports. So everything's moving in the right direction. I would like to think over the last several weeks, people have been getting saved. This has been a strange time for all of us to live through. Certainly a glimpse of the great tribulation, no doubt about it, but by the grace of God, he has spared the majority, only the minority of minorities have got sick and sadly some have died, which of course is tragic because most uh, would have died and gone to hell forever. Well, a few nights ago, I finished reading through the Old Testament and normally when I finish reading through the Old Testament, I start again sometime straight away and maybe three or four nights ago I sat down to read Genesis got a great blessing I rediscovered many truths I like how Seth is referred to as a seed uh, from the mouth of Eve but of course you know that the woman doesn't produce a seed the father does so of course Seth is a type of the savior and back in Genesis chapter 3 you've got two seeds you've got the serpent seed and the savior seed the serpent seed is spiritual as is a savior's and these two seeds are at enmity from the beginning of time to the end of time. And that's one of the reasons why there is so much chaos in the world. So many fightings or so much fighting, so much killing uh, inside the body of Christ. A lot of people devouring one another, fighting with one another. It goes back to the old nature. But this book is precious. And if you are saved, you should read this book each and every day. George Muller, a remarkable man, and I spoke about him several times over the years and I went to his home, his orphanage, two or three years ago. It's now a museum, unfortunately, but George Muller was a saved uh, German who moved to Bristol, southwest of England, was a, remark a remarkable man. And he was so remarkable that he would not only read his Bible on his knees a hundred times through, how about that for sore knees, but he would pray to the Lord and he would ask the Lord to provide for his every need unlike greedy Christian ministries, which we discussed last week. Always begging for money. Please stand with us, they say, and they get the old begging bowl out, and they shame the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet old George Muller would pray every day, never once ask for money. And the Lord saw that man praying on his knees, like James, the Lord's half-brother, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 15, called Camonese, was always praying. And old George Muller would pray and pray and pray. And his prayer many times would be, Lord, please provide for my, my home, my orphanage. Many children went through Muller's orphanage, like thousands. And he gave them a physical education, which was pretty rare during the time of Queen Victoria. Only the wealthy were given uh, education, tutoring. But on top of that, he was able to get a good number of his children saved and into the ministry. 
He raised over one million pounds. That's a lot of money now, a lot more back in the day. And never once did he ask anybody for anything. The Lord saw that man praying, a godly man, a decent man, an upright man. And the Lord said to himself, I'm gonna give that man all that he needs. And over a million pounds came through George Muller's home in Bristol, today a museum, sadly, but he got what he needed. So if you wanna study a man, if you want to study somebody who was, who was remarkable, somebody who had integrity, a real servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, take a look at George Muller sometime. But I sat down a few nights ago to read through Genesis, found a lot of truths, a lot of gems and nuggets and stuff which sometimes you can forget. I don't know about you, but I read the Word of God daily and I'm still finding stuff. And I'm revisiting verses and I got three parts to look at this morning and I may call this message the mysteries of God many mysteries when it comes to God not just why he bothers with us I mean think about this for one moment if you will he's got everything what do you give someone who has everything he has everything and yet he wants to give us a slice of what he has why why bother we're not worthy of course but that's the way the Lord operates kind and gracious, merciful, long-suffering, and I'm still working through the book of Jonah, a fascinating character to profile, to examine, saved in heaven today, and yet at times would behave, would speak like an unsaved man, was bordering being a racist, and I use that word carefully because the term racist, as you know, was invented by white middle-class atheists if it's good it's good if it's wrong it's wrong if it's just it's just if it's unjust it's unjust but if it's good it's okay if it's evil throw it out so be careful even when you use the term racist if you hate someone based on their skin color or if you hate someone based on their gender or sexuality if you hate someone based on where they have come from then technically that would come under the heading of a racist or racism but I don't use that term particularly often because like I say it's used predominantly by unsaved people to bash Bible believing Christians the isms are something which I don't particularly care for but for the sake of this message and for the sake of saving time I will say that Jonah was basically a racist he hated the Gentiles but if you look around the world did you know that Many Mexicans hate black people. Many Indians hate Chinese people. And many Jews, like Jonah and that crowd over in Acts 22, hated the Gentiles. Paul got up on one occasion and he's speaking to the Jews and he said to the Jews, Acts 22, he said, I was told to go to the Gentiles. I'm slightly abbreviating that passage from Luke 20, uh, Acts 22 written by Luke of course and as he's speaking to the Jews about his calling his ministry and it says as he hit the word Gentile as he reached the word Gentile or Gentiles they went crazy kill them not fit to live so on so forth there's a level of prejudice there racism but anyway I want to begin this morning uh, in Genesis chapter 7 I've got three parts of scripture to look at this morning 
and praise the Lord, the rain is holding off for now, but it's still colder than usual. But you know me, once I arrive at the open air pulpit, birds or not, and I've got some circling around me now. They look like seagulls, actually, from the coast. Uh, once I arrive at the pulpit, it's business as usual. Genesis chapter 7, this concerns Noah. 2400 BC, and I do accept James Usher's dating of the Bible. I find his dating incredibly helpful. Most of your new Bibles, in fact, all of your new Bibles, don't use James Usher's dating. So you're wondering, when was this book written? Uh, when did this account take place? From memory, Genesis chapter 7 is around 2400 BC. From Adam to Abraham is 2000 years. Noah is obviously sandwiched between Adam and Abraham. So you're way back around 2000 BC, give or take, I may be slightly off on that. But nonetheless, let's begin in Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So the Lord says to Noah, first of all, build a boat. Secondly, this is how the boat will operate. Here are the blueprints. And I will dictate to you how the boat will be built, what it will consist of. A bit like the word of God, holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. The writings in the scripture are inspired, are infallible. Not the writers, but the writings. The words found in the Bible are inspired. Going back to Pius IX, thinking he was infallible concerning papal infallibility, and yet the only two occasions when the popes have spoken from the so-called chair of Peter, which is found over in the book of uh, Revelation to refer to the, the uh, seat of Satan. Incredibly enough, the only times that the popes have spoken ex cathedra uh, would be concerning Mary, a sinful woman. And yet, like I said last video, Islam and Catholicism are infatuated with Mary. Muhammad thought he was once married to Mary, and yet she was a good woman. She was righteous, as was Noah, 7-1, but she was a sinner, as was Noah. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Noah, meaning comfort, comfort us. Christ is our comforter, as is the Holy Ghost. So Noah is a type of Christ and also the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. There is an invitation. Now, of course, the ark is a type of Christ. Christ is called the captain of our salvation. So God says this. He says, first of all, Noah, you are righteous, as was Mary, as was Zacchaeus, as was Simeon from the New Testament, as was Job from the Old Testament, as was Noah, as we just read, and of course, Abraham. And he says, first of all, I will tell you how the boat will operate. Here are the measurements, here are the blueprints, get busy. And of course, Noah builds the boats. And of course, Noah is a type of Christ. Christ was a carpenter. Noah was also a carpenter able to build a boat. 
Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house, of course the house, have to believe as well, you understand. But from 7.1, cross-reference that to Acts 16, 32-31, which I've just cited, the invitation is given. The ark is built, although Noah physically built the boat, the ark, God gave him the dimensions. God told him what to do. So the credit goes back to the creator, of course. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Invitation. Here's an offer of salvation. Now in the context, it is physical, but in type, it's spiritual. In type, it's a picture of your everlasting salvation. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What he believed on the Lord, it says again how he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's grace from Genesis to Revelation, or somebody once said from generation to revolution, <laughs> but it's grace from beginning to end. There's no other way for anyone at any time living on any continent to be saved it's grace and because Noah is saved and he's righteous like he's upright he's got integrity a bit like George Muller he's not trying to get something out of society he's giving back to society if you will he's a godly man he's a good man but he's also a saved man and because of that because of that, God is going to use him as a type of our salvation. Nobody is good, per se. The term good actually means morally excellent. Only God is good. And that's why Christ would say, Why callest thou me good? None is good but one, that is God. And that type of a statement infuriates religions all over the world. Muhammad thought he was a decent guy. And like I said last time, Islam teaches that Mary was pure, but they also teach that Jesus was also pure, which of course he was. But only Christ is pure in the sense of being sinless. They make the blunder that Mary was sinless based on Rome's perverted gospel. Uh, going back to the Immaculate Conception and also the bodily assumption of Mary, which of course is fallacious. It's based on a fraudulent document, which unfortunately continues to do the rounds. 7-1 again. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Also, the ark is a wonderful picture of tribulation saints who will go through the tribulation, get saved through or during the tribulation and come out at the other end, Matthew 24. The angels are dispatched from heaven. They gather the elect from the four corners of the earth to go up to Jerusalem, Matthew 25. There's no post-trib rapture. Some of our dispensational friends teach two raptures, 
a pre-trib which I hold to but also a post-trib which I do not hold to there's only one rapture for the church uh, and that comes before the tribulation not in the middle nor at the end and the Lord said unto Noah come thou and all thy house into the ark there's an invitation to a man to his family going back to Acts 16 believe on the Lord Jesus Christ appropriate the atonements and thou shalt be saved present tense and thy house providing your house believe as well obviously because it says verses 32 33 34 35 from Acts 16 that they all heard the gospel believed and straight away they were all baptized like straight away today your average church will wait six months to baptize somebody into their church if you want to become a roman catholic for example you have to go to the rcia system and that can take sometimes 12 to 18 months and they give you a tick list do you believe this do you believe that all the church of rome teach this the church of rome teach that you've got a tick 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 that you affirm what they teach you and providing uh you tick what they teach you uh you can become a good catholic and if you don't tick it you can't i guess if you were to perish during your 18 month of rcia courses i would assume based on roman catholicism that you go to hell right and yet in the word of god they believed and they were saved straight away and here seven one the offer goes out the call to salvation goes out and again noah meaning comfort he will comfort us in our toils christ will comfort us if we are saved the holy ghost is the great comforter again noah uh, found grace in the eyes of the lord noah meaning comforts is a wonderful picture not only of the lord jesus christ but also of the holy ghost go to verse 16 and they that went in went in male and female of all flesh as god hath commanded him and the lord shuts him in you are sealed unto the day of redemption if i open a letter let's go back to the old school now <laughs> and if i was to write a letter and if i were to seal that letter into an envelope that letter is unable to free itself or if i was to purchase a jar and put something into the jar and seal it shut it is impossible for whatever is inside of the jar or the envelope to come out to free itself i have sealed it tight you see i put it in seven one screwed it shut shut it tight and it's down to me to let it out or to leave it in we are sealed unto the day of redemption and they that went in those that appropriated the atonement those that humbled themselves to board the boat you have to understand that way back in the old testament when noah was building the boats it would take him what 120 years to build the boat friends and family enemies peers colleagues those that he grew up with thought he was a fool thought he was an imbecile and they said to themselves there's not going to be a flood we won't all die we will live forever richard dawkins said 
there isn't any God. Stephen Hawkins said this isn't uh, a supernatural event that we are all experiencing. This is uh, chaos, basically, something from chaos. Charles Darwin would say survival of the fittest. One atheist said this, he said, uh, if I was to see a relative be murdered or somebody who was very close to me suffer an awful death, I may have some uh, feelings in my head. I may have a sense of emotions in my head. I may have uh, signals sent to my head, but being remorseful for what I've done, what have I done, he, would, he, uh, he said, being overly upset for what took place, what for, he said. We are all animals. This is the animal kingdom. You don't find lions or tigers or panthers or uh, orangutans crying when somebody comes along and devours one of their kin. They continue to hunt. They continue to find their next meal. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh. Here male and female and all flesh concerning Jew and Gentile as God had commanded him. God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the whole world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, appointed to pay for our sins. In fact, keep your hand there and go to Acts. Uh, 16 Acts chapter 16 you have to humble yourself that's the word you've got to be humble uh, you've got to stop doing religion and start doing relationship it says our Christ was numbered with the transgressors you've got an innocent man sandwiched between uh, two criminals uh, it's actually uh, Acts 17, excuse me, Acts 17, 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, change your mind. Stop trusting yourself and start trusting the Saviour. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Go back to Genesis 7. And they that went in, they that humbled themselves, it starts with John the Baptist's disciples, get into the water, let people see that you mean business, stop trying to trust yourself, or stop trusting yourself, stop being boastful and proud, that you may be Chinese, a very proud race, you may be Jewish, a very proud race, you may be French, a very proud race, get into the water, you're nothing special. And they that went in, appropriated the atonement, went in male and female, Christ is the saviour of all men, meaning mankind of course, of all flesh, Jew and Gentile, as God had commanded him. Going back to Acts 17, how God has commanded all men everywhere, 
to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained so one day you will die you will hit the judgments and christ will be standing waiting to judge you that's part of the coin but of course there's two sides to every coin and i'll give you the other coin or the other side of the coin shortly and the lord shut him in he shut noah in he shut noah's family in it would have been impossible for noah to get out it would have been impossible for noah's family to get out once i seal the letter in that envelope once i put some items into a jar it could be prunes it could be uh something that you like to eat pickles perhaps once i seal the jar shut once i seal the letter shut once i put the imprimatur which they used to do back in the days of charlemagne napoleon and even in britain during world war one they would get their stamp stamp the uh, imprimatur on the letter and then get some hot wax and seal it shut not so much done anymore but it was done to make it harder if not impossible to open and see what was inside of the letter so christ has sealed us until the day of redemption there's no way we, we can break out of the body of christ because the body of christ is like the boat built by god once you board the boat genesis 7 1 and genesis 7 16 you are now sealed inside of the boat the letter is sealed the jar is sealed so that's part one of this message looking at the mysteries of god and i guess if most churches really understood justification sanctification adoption and glorification the church would be incredibly different maybe 25 years ago a king james bible believing pastor was asked to cover one of his sick colleagues who was teaching seminary to seminarians somewhere in california and he arrived to speak to these seminarians mostly evangelical but on the conservative wing of evangelicalism and he said uh, i got a question for some of you people i've been listening to some of you guys outside talking about salvation like justification like sanctification those words i've just used glorification adoption predestination and it has uh, dawned on me that some of you guys who are two years in to a six-year study don't know what justification actually means or glorification adoption sanctification and he said uh, hands up those of you who can tell me what justification means a room full of 100 people and out of a room of 100 people no more than 10 hands went up and he said uh, to the other people present now tell me what you all think justification means and those 90 people two years into a six-year seminary course thought that justification meant to be baptized to join a local church to do good works and yet look at noah he boards a boat he hasn't been baptized he hasn't been circumcised he hasn't tithed isn't part of a local church hasn't done any works he says he found grace in the eyes of the lord grace is a gift 
It's God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace is something which we can't earn. We can lose the Lord's favour. We can fall out of, out of uh, fellowship with the Lord. But of course, 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is, just and, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And this guy said, uh, so let me get this right. 90 of you out of 100 think that justification uh, concerns being baptised. And 90 of you think you can lose your salvation. He said Martin Luther would turn in his grave if he could hear what you've just told me. Go to Luke chapter 12. So it's my belief that most churches also believe the same nonsense, that justification is basically you getting baptised, joining a local church, tithing, and uh, being a good old Christian. But again, Noah, 2000 BC, is a wonderful picture of how somebody today gets saved. Noah is under grace, not the law. The thief on the cross was, although he died during the law, Luke 23, received what Christ did for him at the end of Christ's ministry. He believed on the Lord and was saved. Noah believed, uh, believed the Lord, moved with fear also. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And of course that expression to work out your salvation with fear and trembling means to make sure you believed what Christ has done for you. Make sure your faith is based on what he has done for you. Going back to Christ's blood atonement, of course. But let's keep moving on. Second part of scripture is Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. If you are saved and you are serving the Saviour as often as you can, that's good. That is commendable and you will be rewarded for that. But when the Saviour comes back, second advent, it says again, Verily I say unto you, that he, son of man, shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet dinner marriage supper of the lamb most likely and will come forth and will come forth and serve them christ is going to serve us what a statement right now we are serving him if we are saved but at the second advent he's going to serve us john 13 pictures this you've got the lord jesus christ with the apostles and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. You've been out all day in Israel back in the day and probably even now. It gets very dusty. The feet get very dirty. You wear sandals uh, in those hot countries, unlike here where we wear shoes <coughs> or sand boots as I wear. 
And uh, they came in one day, the apostles, and he starts to wash their feet. And of course, Simon Peter says, you won't wash my feet. No way. And he says to the Lord, I will uh, never deny you. I will stay faithful to you. Bit of pride creeping in. What's that pride? And he says to Peter, if I can't wash your feet, I have no part with you. We have to finish here, part company. And of course, Simon says, wash all of me, Lord. Give me a shower, give me a bath, wash all of me. And of course, he washes the feet of Simon Peter. But at the beginning, Simon wasn't so sure. Simon loved the Lord, was saved, as was Noah, loved the Lord, was saved. Noah would uh, get intoxicated. And of course, his son Ham discovered his father naked. I thought that was hilarious made a commotion about it, told his brothers about it, and they said, right, we will deal with that. And they got a blanket and they put it over their shoulders, walked in backwards, covered their father's nakedness, his dignity. Uh, you see, Noah is a type of Christ. Every time you sin against your own body, you are sinning against, you are sinning against Christ because Christ lives inside of us, as does the Father and the Holy Ghost, of course. So Simon said to the Lord, you won't wash my feet, it's impossible, so on and so forth. And the Lord said to him, well, if I don't wash your feet, we are finished, it's time to call it a day. And he said, okay, wash my feet. And that uh, took place over in John 13. That was remarkable in and of itself. I mean, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the creator of the entire universe, had no problem building a boat, got the, the drawings out, and told Noah what to do. Noah moved with fear, like I say, built the boat, got the family onto the boat, ridiculed, laughed at, mocked at, so on and so forth. Peter comes along, sees the Lord, believes on him, loves the Lord, and as the continual story uh, throughout the Gospels uh, continues, the narrative continues, when uh, they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, Simon pulls out a sword, and of course he heads to the high priest servant wanting to perhaps harm him not necessarily kill him but it's possible and the sword hits the guy's ear off it comes and it goes back on again but the point is this that simon peter at first would refuse to allow the lord to wash his feet because he loved the lord noah loved the lord noah fell and had to be restored to grace simon peter fell and would also have to be restored to grace but this is another mystery uh, 37 again blessed are those servants happy are those servants whom the lord when he cometh shall find watching we should be watching watching and waiting when the year began it seemed pretty positive pretty promising brexit was done uh, we were planning to do some outreaches, planning projects, writing multiple articles, which we still are, of course, getting ready to do the book of Psalms, which is probably two weeks away now. So join me and please pray for me. And the lockdown uh, came, people were being put into hospitals, body bags were going up. The fear mongering of the press continued. Of course, the whole thing has been a huge, massive embarrassing overreaction but governments are mostly led by unsafe people advised by unsafe people 
supported by the apostate church, so what do you expect? And all of a sudden, things started to dip, like I say, and now we are slightly coming out of this uh, situation. But here, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes to find watching. So we are watching, we are waiting. I am watching, I am waiting. I've been a Christian over 18 years now. And when I first got saved, I thought the rapture would be imminent. I remember writing a letter, many letters, in fact, going back to the analogy of the jar or the letter. And I wrote maybe 50 letters to uh, people I knew at the time. And I said to them basically that the rapture is imminent. You need to repent and get ready for the Lord to return. Well, 20 years almost, almost 20 years on, he hasn't returned, but he could do. And I don't regret writing those letters, uh, but I felt fired up at the time. And I was watching and waiting for his return. Sometimes we get a little uh, uh, wary and uh, not always as alert as we should be. The cares of this world can come along and choke some of us and take our joy from us. But if we are reading the scripture, focusing on the Lord, we should be fine and not uh, become too backslidden. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. How do you feel? about Christ serving you. I mean you. How do you feel about that? Here's a man, never sinned, a day in his life, is eternal, co-equal with his Father and the Holy Ghost. If you profile Christ, you will find practically nothing negative against him. Unlike Muhammad, unlike Pius IX, unlike you, unlike I, unlike any of us. Here's a man, Flawless, perfect, beautiful, unique. No painting can come anywhere near picturing him. And yet one day, in a way that I don't quite understand, probably during the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the church is in heaven and the tribulation is taking place on the earth, he's going to serve us. It's a mystery. Someone who has everything, what can you give them? People used to uh, joke about the Queen of England. They would say uh, her birthday's coming up. But what can you give the Queen of England? She's got everything. What can you give Ted Turner, Bill Gates, or some of these wealthy Chinese tycoons? They got everything. What can you give them? And here the Lord, in a way that I don't quite understand the mysteries of God, again, is going to serve us, sinful people, Dirty people, corrupt people, wicked people, deplorable people. He was numbered with the transgressors. A sinless man put between two criminals, thieves, probably murderers as well. He came for sinners. He associated with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, whoremongers, whores, pimps. Pedophiles, probably. Wealthy people, poor people, Gentiles, Jews, men, women, young, old, black, white, what have you. Look at that South Venetian lady. She said to the Lord on one occasion, she said to him, uh, my daughter is uh, being tortured by an unclean spirit. And I believe you are the Jewish Messiah. 
Will you please heal my daughter of this unclean spirit torturing my daughter? And for a period of time, she's going back and forth with him. And he says to her, you are a dog. He calls her a dog. And she says to him, yes, I am a dog. Uh, but the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. The master being the Jews, dogs being Gentiles. What a humble woman. What a humble woman. I mean, some of you people that worship your country, how would you feel if I started to attack your country right now? It could be France, it could be China, uh, it could be America, it could be Britain. Many people are very proud of their countries. You start to make fun of their countries, they get very upset. Jonah got upset when Jehovah said to him, go and preach to the Ninevites. He hated that. He wanted to kill himself. In fact, he hated them so much, he risked his own life and those on the boat that he was sailing on to Tarshish, modern day Spain. What a character. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna come, gird himself, put a towel maybe over his arm, like you would do in John 13, wash the feet of the apostles, make them to sit down to meet. You're going to serve people at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What would you like? Vegetarian? Meat? Vegan? What do you fancy? I can give you whatever you want. This is no exaggeration either. And we'll come forth and serve them. I'm your waiter. How can I help you this evening? I mean, people are going to arrive in eternity knowing what they've done post their salvation. See Christ face to face. They'll see the feet that were pierced, the hands that were pierced, the side where the spear went through. Those markings will be all uh, will be there for all of eternity i believe and that wasn't enough to see the one who died for us he's going to get down and serve you like he did in john 13. can you understand that i don't think i can really understand that i'm happy just to be saved i'm happy just to have my sins washed away pardoned because of him not because of me of course that's good enough for me crowns you can get five you can get four you can get three you can get two you can get one we may get one or two but chances are we may not get any at all thousand year reign some of us may not make it to the thousand year reign due to backsliding being carnal uh, not doing what we should do but take out the thousand year reign which comes after the marriage supper of the lamb take out the five crowns which are dealt with at the judgment seat of christ He's still going to sit down and serve you and wait on you. How do you understand that? Are you going to kick against it like Simon Peter would do and say, not me, Lord. You won't wash my feet. No way. And he says to him, well, if that's the case, Simon, uh, we have no business. We have nothing to talk about. We have nothing to discuss. I suggest we part company and go our own way and of course when he said that Simon said no 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 way I want you to wash all of me give me a bath if you will 
and Christ went round each and every one of them washing their feet and they were just shocked to be in the presence of somebody who was sinless eternal on top of that was waiting on them they weren't waiting on him he was waiting on them incredible go to Romans chapter 3 this is the third and final part Romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3 look at verse 3 for what if some did not believe shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect God forbid yea let God be true but every man a liar it's a timeless piece of scripture as it is written from Job chapter 14 that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged the context is God he will allow people to judge him and this is also another mystery in scripture it starts with the boats it starts with the blueprints there's a boat build it get into it sit tight I'll get you from A to B you can't break out of it I am running the ship if you will picturing our salvation Jesus is at the controls not mankind we arrive in eternity married supper of the lamb he starts to wash our feet he waits on us the menu is brought out what do you fancy iced tea coffee latte what sort of a meal do you want so on and so forth let me wash your feet you just come from uh, earth to uh, heaven my kingdom I am your uh, waiter for this evening incredible and now we arrive in Romans chapter 3 that thou the antecedent is of course on God uh, from verse 4 that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings God's sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged so people are going to judge God the lost are going to judge him there may be some Christians I guess at the judgment seats who may have the audacity to uh, interrogate him to uh, question him but some people are going to judge God at the great white throne judgment can you imagine that what would you say to him what could you say to him you go back to the book of Job you got God speaking to the devil and he says to the devil that guy over there and he points at Job good righteous man upright a bit like Noah hates evil he's a good man he's a perfect man not sinless but upright has integrity but like George Muller and he said to uh, the devil he says he says to the devil he says uh, you work him over you give him a rough time you see what he can handle but you can't kill him and Satan says to him well that's not much fun and I can't kill him and he says to uh, the Lord I got people who love me so much all over the earth and they put their children into the Ganges for me they kill their children they drown their children they burn their children in a fire for me in African countries and uh, parts of the Amazon they eat people they are cannibals can uh, cannibals they do it they love me and he said he says to the Lord uh, they are my people they love me down there who loves you and he says to the devil I got Job he loves me I had Abraham he loved me was prepared to offer his son up for me I got Paul 
he's coming down the line. He loves me. Uh, you won't find much on him. But I've got somebody coming along the line who is perfect. Spotless, sinless. A spotless lamb of God. Spotless lamb. Without blemish. And of course Jesus Christ comes along. And the devil is able to tempt him. Get him to trust himself. And also trust the devil. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust the Father. And that goes on for 40 days. And 40 nights. And the devil can't touch Jesus. And it says he left him for a season. And angels came and ministered unto him. King of the angels, you see. So that's one, of, one, uh, one type of a conversation. And I'm building on the Job account, you understand. Uh, the main theme of Job is Satan being allowed to work over Job. But... You can be sure that there have been many conversations over the years between God and the devil. And like I say, Satan's got many people that love him. Many Catholics love Satan. They pray to Mary. They sacrifice to Mary. May is the month of Mary right now. October is the month of Mary. They worship Mary. Satan loves that. He loves that so much. And they offer their sacrifices. Uh gifts to mary they give their priests indulgences one of the interesting things about covid 19 is that during the easter period last month churches all over the world had to close and if you are a catholic priest and you're not open for easter you have lost a lot of money because every easter they get what's called easter offerings or christmas offerings christmas is very lucrative for the church of rome so too is easter and many catholic priests were very sad not to have had any money given to them over the easter period but satan said to the lord and i'm sure he said this many times i've got people that love me i've got hindus down there i've got muslims down there that will uh, mutilate their children i've got muslims who will blow themselves up for me and for their god and i love all that who have you got jesus or who have you got uh, god and he'll say i got jesus coming down the line like i say i got paul and i may have you if you are a saved Christian, he may point you out and he may say, uh, see that guy over there? See that woman over there? Work her over. If you are a Christian and your life is up and down, up and down, if you are a Christian and you find yourself under a lot of pressure, experiencing things that you can't quite comprehend, you love the Lord, you read the word of God, you preach, you try and speak to people about the Lord, you live like you should do, and your life is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Somebody's working you over. And of course it's the devil. That's God's permissive will. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Nothing has changed, of course. As it is written. As it is written. It is written. Thus saith the Lord. As it is written. That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings. There's no way that anybody with half a brain... It's going to be able to sit down or stand in the presence of the Lord. They'll be standing, of course. And have anything to say to him when it comes to his examination of them. All of your famous people, the Caesars, the Pharaohs, Charlemagne, Gregory the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin. I mean, anyone who's anyone. Anybody's ever, anybody who's ever had any kind of power, clout, musicians, magicians, pastors, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, 
Margaret Thatcher, Mitterrand, Sakona, or Sakana, Indonesia, Sakana, Ronald Reagan, Whitney Houston. These people are all going to arrive at the judgments. Some, bold as brass, as we say, some will have something to say for themselves that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. He will allow unsaved people with filthy mouths, rotten sinners, about to go to hell forever. He will allow those people their moment. But what a picture. I mean, contrast that to the Lord Jesus Christ washing your feet. What would you rather have? The Lord Jesus Christ washing your feet, taking the controls of the boats, the ark, getting you to glory, allowing you to judge angels, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or flip the side over, the other side of the coin, like I said a while ago. Not boarding the ark, watching Noah board the ark, the flood start to come, picture of judgment of course. You're banging on the door of the ark, let me in, let me in, I can't stand it. I can't even swim, they say. And uh, people are drowning all over the place, babies, cripples, blind people, deaf people, people with cancer, sick people. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. Our God is love. God is love, yes. Our God is a consuming fire. There's two sides to every coin. And for the preacher, like myself, I've got to get it right. I've got to get the balance right. If I preach too much on the love of God, I do a disjustice to the other side of the coin. Our God is a consuming fire. God's love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, that's good and proper. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. The love of the world is in you. You've lost the love of the Father. Uh, you've got the uh, three aspects to first uh, John, in fact, keep your hand there and go to first uh, John. There's two sides to every coin, and it's so uh, imperative that we don't overly focus on uh, one side of it. First John, it's First John chapter four. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If the love of the world is in you, you haven't got the love of the Father. Slight paraphrase. I hate misquoting scripture. It was 1 John chapter 2. I was looking at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. Go back to Romans chapter 3. So there are two sides to every coin. And for those of us which preach and teach, we have to get this right. If we go down too hard on one side, if we always preach about hell and nothing about hell, it's disjointed. If we preach about heaven and only heaven, it is disjointed. Robert Schuller was a good example of somebody who would do that. The old Presbyterian apostates in uh, Orange County. And when I first got saved, I used to enjoy watching him more for entertainment than for uh, anything else really. And he was an interesting speaker. And he would speak about uh, turning your scars uh, into stars. Nice soundbite. But never once did he tackle the, uh, the deep stuff in scripture. There are over 30,000 verses in the Bible, over 30,000. And yet, uh, Shula would roughly or barely, no more than on average, preach 10. 10 verses out of what, 30 plus thousand? What a disgrace picked the uh, positive verses, positive Christianity he would call it, and he would shy away from the difficult passages, the controversial passages like let God be true but every man a liar, he wouldn't preach that, too negative, far too negative, and he would tiptoe around it. Nice to watch that guy for maybe about six or seven months, no more than a year I guess. I thought how is it possible this so-called Christian I mean, I've always been cynical and suspicious. Not a good thing, I must admit. <laughs> but I used to watch old uh, uh, Schiller with all these top people going on. Larry King, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bob Hope. I think he went on uh, back in the 70s. All these top people lining up. Muhammad Ali. And I thought there's no connection here with Christ lost people and he would neglect the tough stuff and focus on the positive stuff and in the end give you nothing distorted picture god forbid 3 4 romans 3 4 god forbid yea let god be true but every man every man a liar as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings he will judge you Acts 17 he will put you up against Christ he'll say that guy over there and he point to Jesus and he'll say perfect spotless the beautiful lamb of God never erred never sinned was perfect was wonderful and you think you are a patch on him do you really people are gonna be just silenced so he'll be justified in his sayings and you'll go down in your knees and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and mightest overcome them excuse me, and mightest overcome when thou art judged and mightest and mightest overcome when thou art judged so people are going to judge God incredibly for a period of time have their say criticize him perhaps say we don't like the idea of you 
telling us what to do. We shan't have this man, uh, this man to reign over us. And he would just sit there. It says he will laugh from the third heavens. It says he'll have them in derision. It says how he will mock when fear comes. And when they turn to him, he won't turn to them. In fact, go to Psalm chapter 2. I am almost ready to begin recording the Psalms. Another couple of weeks, I think. And I was reading uh, 2 Timothy a few nights ago. And I found an interesting cross-reference in uh, 2 Timothy. Which I thought was fascinating. Psalm 2.4 He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. How about that? They're judging him, Romans 3, found over in uh, Job 40, and it says here, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. If I give you one more, go to Proverbs, which I just partly quoted. Now the rain's coming down. Why people... Are going to be so foolish to even attempt to judge God is beyond me but that shows you that the Lord is going to allow people to have their say Proverbs 1 26 I also will laugh at your calamity I will mock when your fear cometh 28 then shall they call upon me but I will not answer they shall seek me early but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They were none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. So, three mysteries concerning the Lord from a very wet, cold May morning. But I wanted to come up anyway and do this video. And I may do a volume two and a volume three as I continue to work through Genesis. But who in their right mind would judge God? Who in their right mind would turn down the, or the, uh, the offer of boarding a boat when the flood started to come down? A picture of grace, no works involved. And of course, if you get to Genesis 7 verse 1 and 7 verse 16 down, you will see that Lordship salvation is pointless. And uh, Catholicism is pointless. Church of England... The Nazarenes, Church of Christ, the Orthodox, whether Greek or Russian, it's all worthless, it's all useless, it can't save you. All you can do is receive the Lord through grace alone, found in faith alone, through Christ alone. It's always been that way, it will always be that way. Noah built the boat uh, directly, God built it indirectly, and yet God built it directly, and Noah built it indirectly. You can't understand it, can you? It's a paradox. It's like scripture. God told, told uh, the writers what to write. They wrote what they wrote, but the words came from God. But the writers of the word of God wrote what they were told to write. Their writings were inspired. They weren't inspired, but their writings were. But the worst part of it all is that those who turned down this wonderful offer of everlasting life will hit the judgments and before they go into hell forever, before God laughs at them, Psalm 2, Proverbs 1, they will have their chance to interrogate him, put him on the stand, I guess, like a prosecuting attorney, and fire questions at him, like the Pharisees would do back in the Gospels. And every time the Pharisees would ask him questions back in the Gospels, he had no problems 
He had no problems answering their questions. Only one occasion, the South Phoenician woman uh, was uh, going back and forth with him for a period of time, and he would commend her for it. And he would heal her daughter, incidentally, of that unclean spirit. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. She kept persevering on. She sought him out, she found him. She got her daughter saved, and perhaps, possibly, hopefully, mother and daughter got saved. And those two one day will arrive at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus will wash their feet, incredible, serve them, incredible. And yet for some people, he will say, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Off you go into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Contrast that to those that go into the promised kingdom, which they have now received thanks to God's good grace. So just three verses from three different parts of the word of God, looking at the mysteries of God. I can't uh, offer any more to it than that. It's a mystery to me. It's the mystery of God who has everything and yet wants disgusting, despicable, deplorable people like us to enter into his kingdom forever. I mean, how many people do you know that would want tramps and uh, pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers and liars and thieves and murderers and adulterers and fornicators into your home not many people would want such into their home would they but he does it says in one place compel them to come in compel them compel them to come in bring them in there's still room for more and there's still room for more people to be saved today disgusting flight excuse me <laughs> there's still room for people to be saved to be saved today to be born again washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I better sign out otherwise I'll get drenched and I wish you all peace and joy and uh, join us this coming Sunday when I will attempt attempt to finish Jonah and then Lord willing start the book of Psalms a week Sunday and uh, on that statement praise the Lord indeed I will sign out and wish you every blessing peace and joy in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ amen and amen <laughs>